founders often struggle to focus on their marketing because they get caught up in fires that need to be solved today. They get caught up in the immediate problems. They get caught up in the day-to-day of running the business and aren't able to prioritize marketing. You're listening to the Content 10X Podcast, where it's all about content repurposing. I'm Amy Woods, and I'm here to help you maximize your content and find smart ways to get your message in front of more of the right people, whilst also saving time. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Content 10X podcast. I'm your host, Amy Woods, founder of Content 10X, and this week's episode is all about content strategy. Now, I have a wonderful guest joining me on this week's episode. My guest is Catherine Strachan. She is the owner and managing director of Copy House, an award-winning content marketing agency specializing in technology and fintech content. Now, Catherine started her career agency side before striking out on her own and she's taken Copyhouse from ground zero to a nearly £1 million turnover agency within two years, turning Copyhouse into a super successful technology content marketing agency. And as well as managing Copyhouse, Catherine is a respected industry speaker featuring at events like Money Next, SEMrush and many more. And she speaks on topics around SEO, customer-centric content, technology marketing, leadership, female entrepreneurship. In this episode in particular, we talk about developing a content strategy, understanding your ideal clients, what content works and what stage in the funnel, measurement and KPIs and so much more. So let's jump in to the conversation. Therine, welcome to the Content 10X podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So firstly, uh, before we get into the crux of the conversation, can you just explain just a little bit more about your role and about what Copyhouse does? Of course, yeah. So I'm Catherine Strachan. I'm the managing director um, and founder of Copyhouse. Copyhouse is a content marketing agency specializing in technology and fintech. So we work with some really exciting brands all the way up to Facebook, Meta, um, as well as some smaller brands as well. And what we do is we support content throughout its life cycle. So we start with workshops to help build core messaging. We do content strategies and set the foundations for our clients. And then we do content production. Content production for us is copywriting as well as content design. So we do a lot of eBooks and um, white papers, thought leadership articles based on subject matter expert interviews, standard blog articles, of course, uh, case studies and sales collateral all of which we can design Um, and then once the content's live we help disseminate it via social media via LinkedIn normally for our clients as well as email and then we wrap up with an impact report that kind of helps tie everything together and bring it back around again so that we can start the strategic process again and refine it. Cool so so let's dive in and talk about content strategy so obviously as you said you work with clients to help them devise their content strategy as a starting point can we look into how you go about doing that so how do you get to that um, starting point of, of developing a content strategy yeah I mean depends on where the brand's coming from and how much previous work they've done into things like customer avatars USPs core messages 
we normally recommend starting with like a half day, at least a half day, if not a full day, depending on how much of this work's been done, workshop, um, because that workshop allows us to like really interrogate that messaging and make sure that the core messaging that's going into the strategy is actually what should be used. So I see the workshop as like building all the core ingredients that you need for creating really effective content. So if the workshop is the ingredients, then the strategy is, you know, the, the baking tray that you're going to pour that cake mold into, and then you put it in the oven. And what you get at the end is, you know, the really nice um, thought leadership article, but you can't get that nice article if you don't put the right ingredients in the cake to begin with. Yeah, I love that analogy, by the way. It's fantastic. Um, so in terms of the, I guess, like the strategy development, a, a key thing would be developing that avatar, wouldn't it? And finding the the ideal client of who you're talking to. What approaches do you recommend for doing that part of actually really deeply understanding your ideal clients? Yeah, depends on the, the stage that the brand's at as well, because as you get more mature as a brand and as you get, a, get to be you know around for a little while, you start to know your ideal um, customers and your ideal clients very well. It's far harder for a startup who like doesn't really know who they work with to do it. Um, so our brands tend to be a little bit more mature, so tend to have some ideas. So what we normally do with them is we start with a workshop where we help them define this and dig into it and like really ask them some deep questions. And we see that workshop as like setting the hypothesis, but then we go and validate it by doing interviews with these customer avatars by making sure that the people who, you know, would match that at the top level actually do have those pain points actually do have those struggles actually do have those wants and needs and desires and that it all aligns um, and that you know the hypothesis that we set is true rather than you know being false or having assumptions in it I mean I think if you're at the earlier stage where you don't really know um, who you want to work with. I think it's important to have lots of conversations and to listen to like your current customers. So who do you currently work with? What is it that they enjoy about working with you? What do you enjoy about working with them? Um, as well as, you know, people who aren't working with you right this moment, but, you know, could potentially be um, in the future and taking kind of all of those conversations and really thinking strategically and deeply about it. Um, the other thing that, you know, quite often happens when you're relatively new is you, you struggle to want to only pick one. You're like, I want to work with everybody. You know, I sell my product to everybody. We can work with everybody, but that's never really true, nor is it effective because the same, the messages that work for a teenage audience, not going to work for, um, you know, an 80, 80 year old plus audience, you know, they're two very different groups and they have different wants and concerns and needs. And you're just going to confuse people if you try to do that. Um, I am a big believer that nobody can do everything well. So you need to figure out what you do well, how you can, you know, stand out from the crowd and who you actually want to work with. Um, and then, you know, set your avatar around that, around, I mean, there's a reason why it's called an ideal customer persona, because it's your ideal customer. So you may not currently work with them. You may work with people who you don't currently want, who you in the future don't want to work with. But if you think strategically about like, okay, if I could have anything, if I could have any kind of client, what client would that be? And start with that question and then build out from there. I'd be really keen to know, um, 
when businesses do like quite genuinely have a few different avatars, a few ideal client personas. So I completely agree with you that, you know, you've got to kind of hone in and, and it can't just be like kind of anyone and everyone. Um, but when, for example, you know, you have a couple of different, like say services and you're sitting down with a, a business and they do make quite a, a genuine point that, okay, well, the clients that consume that service, the ICP would be this, but then with this service, it would be this. When you're developing a content strategy and and you do have those slightly different ideal personas for the, for the services and it's quite a genuine difference, how do you then go about developing that strategy? Yeah, I mean, I would start by looking at like how many customer avatars you actually have. And think about it like this, you know, the more customer avatars you have, the more marketing spend you're going to need to devote to each to build relationships with them. Because what you're ultimately doing is trying to build a relationship with people from this sort of profile who look like this. Uh, and it takes work and effort and investment to build that relationship. Um, so if you look at all of them, you then need to kind of decide where your focus is gonna lie. So are some more profitable for you than others? Um, you know, it, are some more aligned with where you want the company to go in the future than, you know, where it is currently and help you decide how you're going to portion up your marketing spend, but also your marketing resources and the time that you have available. I mean, even companies that have big, massive amounts of time will have specific priorities. They will want to focus on spe specific audiences. And that then means that some of the other personas, you know, may get a little bit of marketing, but aren't getting, you know, the full whack or aren't getting all of their attention. Um, and deciding it from a business perspective, um, from an objective perspective of what you want to achieve and where you're going and how it feeds into all that, I think is probably the best way to do it. Completely agree. It's, um, it's fine to have them, isn't it? But like you said, you still have to you can serve those different people, but from a marketing perspective, you, you still have to choose what you are going to focus your marketing budget on. And if you spread it really thinly, you have five personas, so you just divide your budget in five and, and do it that way. That's probably not the necessarily the best attempt unless you've got a massive budget in five teams, I guess, really, isn't it? That can be doing different focus. Um, you mentioned about all the different types of content that you guys create. So, you know, the case studies, thought leadership, papers, research, uh, blog posts, all of that kind of content. What do you see, I guess, kind of working most effectively in terms of, is there like a funnel that you go through where you kind of start with this kind of content and then start to move through um, as, you, as you move like their their relationship with their audience to different um, stages? Yeah, I mean, one of the approaches that we use is called the content pillar. Um, so we create a content pillar based around the funnel, which works really incredibly well. So how we do that is we create a long form piece, it's gonna be the content pillar, it's normally about 2000 words, that's targeted at a high volume keyword that would otherwise be very difficult to rank for. So this piece is very top of funnel, um, maybe it goes a little bit into the mid, but it's mostly top of funnel. And then we support that with supporting articles. So these supporting articles are more mid funnel, they're often more thought leadership, which means that they're based on subject matter expert interviews and they're linked into it. Um, into that content pillar. And then at the bottom, we have a downloadable um, funnel assets. So that might be like a template or a checklist or an infographic. 
something valuable that people would want to give you their details to download. And st that structure is quite nice because it feeds up to get visibility over high volume keywords, but also feeds down to get people who are reading to take the next small commitment step of giving you their email address to be able to download um, something that is going to be useful for them and then starts to turn them into a sales qualified lead. And with regards to um, like social content as well, so getting a lot of this content out there um, for these clients through uh, their website, et cetera. And, but then the, I guess the additional promotion, marketing and distribution of this content, um, what kind of strategy do you guys follow with that to try and get that distribution going? Yeah, I mean, we help disseminate it on social media. So it depends on the what we're trying to disseminate because if it's something like an ebook or a white paper, then it's very good to have some paid spend behind it. But obviously it doesn't make sense to do some paid spend behind, you know, one blog article. So it depends on what we're trying to disseminate and what we're trying to get the word out about. Um, when it comes to LinkedIn, we normally, um, if the brand is into this as well, because obviously some brands are less so, but to get posts going out from the founder um, or you know a senior leader within the company's profile as well as the company account, personal profiles tend to perform better. Um, some companies can't do that. Some companies uh, don't want to do that. So it depends on the company um, whether or not we're able to you know leverage the senior leaders uh, profile as well. But we try to get posts going out from both. Um, and we create what we call snackable posts. So snackable posts, um, you know, you want to give enough away about the piece of content to make it really tantalizing, you know, to make it so that people want to read more um, and our, their curiosity is piped uh, so that they click through, so that they go and read it, so that they engage with it. Um, so we call those snackable posts. Um, and we normally, yeah, recommend that we create a series of them that go out both via the senior leaders as well as the company page to help disseminate um, something like a blog article or, yeah, um, yeah, something like this. Yeah, completely makes sense. That's kind of, you know, I guess music to my ears in terms of that, you know, that repurposing into the snackable content from the long form. Um, in terms of KPIs then, so, uh, you know, looking at actually measuring the impact of this and the duration, you know, what kind of timelines you would be looking at to measure KPIs. How do you approach that? Yeah, it also largely depends on where the brand's coming from, because if you haven't done any work whatsoever, it's going to take much longer to get uh, to start to see results than if you have been, you know, publishing regularly and you have that momentum going. I mean, if you're starting from a standstill, it's probably going to take about six months to get it up and running and, you know, to start to see really good results. I mean, a couple months before that, you'll start to see inklings of them, but it will take about six months of consistent effort, consistently publishing content to start to see results. I mean, for us, we look at things like SEO. So, you know, where they're ranking for keywords, um, you know, where their traffic's being derived from, how long they're spending on page, um, you know, if they are clicking through and bouncing, so bounce rates, and kind of look at all of that sort of information to see what is performing and also to see like what articles perform better than, than other ones because not all the content you do is going to 100% kill it. You know, some of the articles will do very well. Some of them will maybe do uh, medium well and may need some need, need to go back um, and look at those and see how we can 
uh, boost results on them. Um, and some of them are, may be too experimental and may not work, but until you start kind of testing the waters and trying, you don't know that. So it's all really useful information. Um, in fact, when brands come to us, when they have been doing lots of content, we normally recommend doing content audits so that we can go pa back past like their previous content that we, we, we didn't do, but to look at it for those things. So what is performing very well? What needs repurposing? So what needs you know, to be refreshed or what's out of date? How can we, you know, improve performance on articles that aren't perhaps performing as well as they should? Um, and that's a really good thing to do if you have been publishing content for a while. And it often reveals uh, some great insights that can then feed into your strategy. Yeah, I, I often find that, that, that the case is that businesses think that they need to continuously be creating lots of new content but you made a really good point that when you're doing your audit sometimes you find that there's a lot of content already there and actually it would be time well spent to refresh and repurpose and um, optimize the content that already exists Hey, just a little break from this week's episode to let you know about becoming a content 10X insider. If you want more content repurposing tips and advice, then why not join hundreds of business owners, marketers, and content creators who get them delivered straight to their inbox once a week by subscribing to the content 10X newsletter. As well as tips and advice, you get industry updates, inspiring stories, exclusive content offers, and more. You can subscribe at content10x.com forward slash newsletter, and there's a link in the show notes too. Okay, back to this week's episode. Did you sometimes struggle against that mindset with some of the, you know, people that you work with or potentially are looking to work with where they feel that it's all about the churn of the new and perhaps um, don't realize the power of what is already there if it was just to be kind of invested in optimization? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, um, optimization is like one of the tools in our toolkit. So we often don't sell it from, from, from that approach to convince them that, you know, it just needs to be optimized, but rather it's, you know, if you've been doing content for a while, you know, what's performing well, what's not performing well and making sure that they get the best return on their investment from the content that they've previously done. I mean, and when you create content regularly as well, like you will create content that is topical. So you may create like five best trends of 2021, but now it's 2022. So it needs to be updated. Um, and it's quite a quick win as well because this these pieces of content have gained domain authority as they've been live. Um, so when we've gone back in the past and like refresh this content, um, quite easily, you know, you can increase rankings and see a big uptick in engagement and traffic and things like this. Um, it's quite often low hanging fruit as well because brands don't always optimize the content that they create so some of those articles that are performing semi-well may not have ever been optimized to begin with um, so if you go in and add you know a primary keyword and a secondary keyword and make sure that has the h html structures for the article um, that can be quite quite good low-hanging fruit um, we have a case study on our website uh, about this actually um, from a brand called InPlayer. So if anybody's interested in learning more about the results that we saw from doing that, uh, I'd encourage them to go read that. Yeah, I'll, I'll add the um, the link to that in our show notes so we can um, refer everybody over to that to go and have a look. Sounds good. <laughs> um, now, we obviously both spend a lot of time working with content and you know, the copy in particular. And 
in this world at the moment with the power of video content and podcasts and augmented reality and you know metaverse coming and all of that um obviously copy is still extremely effective part of marketing and um, but what what are your thoughts on on that you you mentioned at the start about like looking at that kind of content how do you work with that and are you your clients asking about this kind of content as well now yeah yeah I mean we our clients often ask about things like video and podcasts um, so we have a really strong partner network that we pull in for those because it's not a service that we offer in-house, um, but we are big believers in, you know, doing content in multiple formats and it is quite good to do it in multiple formats because different audiences, you know, want different things. I mean, you want different things at certain times of the day. I mean, when you're on the train into work, you know, it may be difficult to watch a video if you don't have headphones, but you can read a blog article. I mean, Google... Um, behaves differently for blog content than it does video content. Um, so having a mixture of both um, is really highly beneficial and is something that we quite often work with our clients on because um, we do the reverse as well. So one of the things that came out during the pandemic, which I'm sure that you've seen, is that lots of people are doing webinars um, and webinars are great but um, they have a shelf life because you have the event and very few people are going to go back and watch a 45 minute recording of a webinar that they missed um, the first time around. But what they will do is they'll go and read a thought leadership article based on the insights from that webinar um, that, and that has much longer shelf life. You know, it takes them about three minutes to read um, and gives them the value that they would have gotten if they had gone to the webinar. So being able to combine those. So one of the things that we did a lot over the last couple of years um, is attending the webinars of our clients and then creating a thought leadership article at the back of it so that they can get some extended shelf life from that event um, and be able to give something of interest and value to people who didn't attend um, or who enjoyed the event so much that they want something more. Um, it's a great you know, follow-up. Yeah, uh, uh, webinars are great for that. And, you know, it really gets the return on investment from the time of uh, running and um, putting on a webinar. We have been working with a few businesses where they've been putting on virtual events. So, you know, it's kind of 11, 12, that webinar style videos over the course of a day or two and repurposing their virtual event and you know the number of blog posts and social content and um, you know videos graphics etc uh, on a, the podcast a few weeks ago we talked to a client of ours about this and you know he said at least five months worth of constant um, content coming from a one day virtual event so you know it's kind of such a great thing to do it, it leads me really nicely on to talking to you actually about copy house and your content approach and your marketing in terms of what you guys do because I know that you have your own webinars don't you the tech talk webinars that you run on a regular basis um what how have they been going and what was the I guess kind of motivation to to, to get going with your own webinar series yeah they're going really well we just had our best one yet um last month we had 120 people attend uh, which is great. Those are great numbers for a webinar. Had some fantastic speakers. Um, but I guess what people don't see is that we have been running them for about six, seven months now. Um, and it took a lot of learning and patience and consistency, as I was talking about earlier, to start to get results like that, to start to build a following, to start to have people who are like, I attend everyone, uh, which is great to hear. Um, but that takes time to build. Um, 
yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've done is getting strategic about who we ask to speak. So making sure that people we have who are coming to speak have good followings of their own, because then when the event's coming and they help to promote it on LinkedIn, um, you know, that brings people in, making sure that people are good speakers, because sometimes, you know, even if somebody is an expert in their field, they may not be a good speaker, you know, they may be like, um, you know, that college professor used to have who was super smart, but sent the whole entire class to sleep. And that's obviously not something that you want on your webinar. So getting really strategic, thinking very carefully about the topics. So the one that we had in January was about your strategy, which for January um, event is very relevant. So, you know, sticking close to the trends and what is going to work um, and not going too niche with them. As a technology content marketing agency, we could go super niche, but we found that like events on specific technologies attracted less people than doing something a bit wider, like a B2B marketing strategy. Um, so we've gotten very strategic with them, but it's taken experimenting and, you know, trying it, seeing what might work, reassessing and refining to get to the point where, yeah, we have, you know, 120 people attending and, you know, lots of great engagement online from people who are there and, you know, are seeing those results. So, yes, yeah, so I guess the key takeaway from, from that would be, you know, to not be scared to experiment, to refine, to tweak, to learn, to try new things um, and to maintain consistency, to, you know, do it every month so, or, you know, however often, um, but do it consistently and regularly so that you can start to build that traction, can start to build that following and can get momentum. Yeah, it takes time, doesn't it? And, and, and patience and just knowing that if you stick with these things, then, you know, you will start to, to get that snowball effect, I guess. And it's great to hear that they're going, you know, so well, that's really, you know, really good results for you. And it's not that long either, is it? You know, it's quite a short in the lifespan of a series. What are the other kind of pillars of you, of your content strategy? Obviously, this sounds like it's a key pillar now to be doing the tech talks, webinars. I'm sure you're going to say blogging, thought leadership papers, because obviously that's what you do. But, you know, what have you found has been the most effective like content pillars that you guys have worked with to to get yourself known and, and content marketing efforts yeah so our events our tech talks but i do a lot of public speaking as well so i've built a personal brand through my public speaking uh this podcast is one example but i do a lot of public speaking i try to do one event a week and i do a lot of networking i try to meet 50 new people a month um, so my personal brand kind of feeds into all that, which is one of the reasons why we started the Tech Talk. So the Tech Talk is um, part of building my personal brand. Um, and then our thought leadership. So we have a dedicated content marketing assistant who just writes for Coffee House. So she doesn't write for any of our clients. She just writes for us. So she's writing really regular content um, for our site. And then we also do email. Emails worked quite well for us, both email outreach from a sales perspective, but we also do newsletters and we do quite personalized emails that go out uh, that you get lots, that we get lots of great response from. So it'll be like a plain text email uh, that will come from myself and it will, you know, like we did one at the end of last year as like a wrap up for 2022 um, and had quite a lot of nice conversations off the back of that. Um, so I would say that those are probably the three main pillars, my personal brand, which encompasses all the events we do and all the public speaking I do, um, our content that we create because we do a lot of thought leadership content, um, obviously we would do, wouldn't we? And then 
Um, yeah. And then email, email marketing works quite well for us as well. Yeah. Awesome. I, I guess like, you know, the, quite often when I speak to, um, people they'll say that we're not too good at practicing what we preach you know what well, we do this as an agency but actually we don't do it for ourselves but you guys do practice what you preach and clearly with you know a full-time in-house um, member of the team that's focusing purely on your content and everything you really are making sure that you do um practice what you preach yeah which is well awesome. we have a <laughs> we have a two and a half person marketing team so we have a full-time marketing manager a full-time content marketing assistant um, a part-time graphic designer who only work on our marketing. They don't touch client stuff. And we're hiring another two roles for our marketing team this year. So we invest really heavily in, in our marketing. And I think it's something that brands really do need to do. And it's very difficult when you're first getting started because you don't know where to put resources and you don't know what, what, where to hire first. Um, when brands come to me at that stage, I always say to them, that they need to get um, a marketing manager or a CMO or a marketing consultant in place first, because these people are going to help you see the bigger picture. They're going to help you see the woods from the trees, understand where you need to put your investments and set your wider marketing strategy. So we often don't work with brands who don't have that in place because we only do content marketing. So we can't even really tell them about these other elements because we don't do them. Um, so that's what I always recommend for anybody who's looking to get started with their marketing is to get a marketing manager or a CMO or um, a marketing consultant in place who can set your wider marketing strategy. And then it's going to become much clearer for you. Having that dedicated resource also means it's not going to get neglected. So founders often struggle to focus on their marketing because they get caught up in fires that need to be solved today. They get caught up in the immediate problems. They get caught up in the day-to-day -day of running the business and aren't able to prioritize marketing. So, you know, even when they start out with really great intentions, it always falls by the wayside, which when you're trying to conceive, achieve consistency, is not a good thing to have fall by the wayside. But if you have that dedicated resource in-house, it makes it so much easier. So, you know, when we, we had a marketing manager, um, but, and we would always say, oh, one of our copywriters will write a blog this week. When we said it for like a year um, and it got to the point where I was like, we have said this for a year and we've maybe done like two blogs. So what we're going to do is we're going to hire somebody who only does content for Coffee House. And that solved the problem almost immediately. Um, but yeah, you need to protect that resource and have dedicated resources. It's going to make your marketing so much easier. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? It's it's a move that we um, made uh, at the end of last year. Um, now have an awesome full time marketing manager who was a a writer in our team. Sam will be listening. It's <laughs> fantastic um, what she did in writing, and she's moved over to be our marketing manager. And and you only realise usually what took us so long as well. Like you said, you spent a year kind of saying you were going to do the uh, consistent focus, and then you realise, don't you? this is a fundamental role in the business, but you know, not, not everybody has the, the budget at first to do that. I, I totally get that. But when you do, you realize you should have done it sooner. Most of the time, I think. hundred <laughs> um, percent. And if you're, if you're not ready to pull it in-house yet, um, what I would recommend doing is working with an outsourced CMO or marketing consultant. Um, so I often send startup brands that way um, when they say that they can't afford to hire somebody in-house or they don't want to make the commitment. That's totally fine. You can still do it outsourced, but you do need to work with somebody who can see the bigger picture and set your wider marketing strategy. Um, and it's a good place to start. So, you know, perhaps before you're ready to make a full-time hire, 
you know, working with a marketing consultant who specializes in startups and can help you understand that wider landscape and what to do and where to focus your attention and all these things um, is massively beneficial. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And I think um, if you have some rigor, perhaps like a, a quarterly half day with them or something like that, it just gives you that accountability as well, doesn't it? Because you know, whatever you agree from meeting to meeting, you you want to be turning up and saying that you followed through on the things that you agreed as well. So it helps set that strategy and bigger picture direction and keeps you focused on wanting to kind of make sure that you're doing what you agreed to do as well so there's a lot of benefits to that <laughs> um in terms of um in terms of, of wrapping up i want to ask you a, a question which is um what do you see as some of the i guess like a, a big mistake that businesses make with their um copy on their website probably that it gets forgotten about. So when people create a website and I'm talking like landing pages, they often just go to a to design agency um, and just have it designed, but don't actually think about the messages that are on the website or the core messages that need to come through to be able to get people to trust you when they come to their site. So then the copy is either written um, by the founder, which is a terrible idea because the founder is so close to the woods that they cannot see the trees. So they're basically writing it for themselves, but their audience is not very rarely is it themselves. Um, so like, especially in the tech world, that then means that it becomes very product focused, very technical and, you know, falls on deaf ears. Um, or it's written by um, a graphic designer who's not a copywriter, who's just creating words to fill the spaces that they need so that they don't have Latin placeholder text when the site goes live. Uh, so that messages, you know, aren't going to be effective either. Um, you know, in order to create really effective website content, you know, you really need to do a core messaging workshop to build those ingredients to get all of the core messaging you need to deliver on the website so much so that like we won't write a website without doing that workshop first because you can't just write a website you can't just desk research one or copy a competitors or do any of these things you have to you know really make sure you know who you're speaking to and what they need to hear and what they want to hear from you and then make sure that that translates through to the website um, so, I mean, when we're talking about landing pages and the website specifically, I would say that it for gets forgotten about. Mm. And just on that, where, interestingly, when you're saying about kind of building that site from scratch and focusing on the copy and, and making sure that you get somebody, a copywriter versus, you know, the founder or the graphic designer to do the copy. Um, when, it be when you get that world of copy, the importance of both copy of a site and then obviously like the design and aesthetic of the site, what comes first? Are you trying to, does it frustrate you when the copy is trying to fit into a design? Um, should the copy always be written first and the designer has to work out how to, uh, to design it or where, how do you do that? No, I mean, it's a bit of a tug and a pull, which is why we have a content designer in-house as well as copywriters, because they need to work in tandem. Um, I mean, it's less about the copy coming first and more about like the core workshop coming first. So when we do a website, we normally start with that workshop and that workshop is going to influence the design. It's going to influence the information architecture. It's going to influence all of these elements and it really starts with the foundation. And then you go into the SEO strategy and the information architecture, and then you do the wireframes and the wireframes are based on all this. So it can kind of work together and can grow together. I mean, the worst thing is, yeah, when none of that happens and then 
they come at the very end and want website content and not because it's difficult to put words into a certain parameter, but because often what's revealed is that they need different landing pages or they need different sections on those landing pages because who they're trying to speak to needs something slightly different that wasn't considered during the design process. Um, so that's what happens when you approach it only from design, but neither should it only be approached from copy either because you know you need to know the limitations of the design what the, what the design can do and they really need to work in tandem because they're two halves of the same coin yeah 100 percent. It, it, it's uh, that they're both extremely important aren't they and they have to work together you can't kind of retrofit one to the other or vice versa so <laughs> um well thank you Catherine it's been such a, a wonderful conversation and just so much advice and thanks for being so kind of open and transparent and being willing to kind of share your knowledge um where would you like people to go to um connect with you find out more about copy house etc yeah um so a great place to start is our website so that's coffeehouse.io um, you can also follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm under Catherine Eastracken. Um, probably those two. Yes. Yep. And check out your uh, monthly tech talks uh, webinars as well. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Uh, definitely come along to the next one. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'll put all the links to um, the case study that you mentioned and obviously how to connect with you and Copy House and all of that on the uh, show notes for the podcast episode. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great to be here. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that discussion and thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the content 10x podcast, then why not hit that subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice so that you can get updated when new episodes are released. And I'd really, really appreciate it if you could leave a review as well. That really makes a difference for the podcast. Also, please do get a copy of my book, Content 10x, more content, less time, maximum results. It is the ultimate guide to repurposing every type of content and it's available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback and also in audiobook as well and you can head to content10x.com forward slash book to find all the other places that you can get a copy of my book and if you would like us to do your content repurposing for you then we offer a fully end-to-end done for you content repurposing service this is for podcasters and video content creators we have our podcast 10x video 10x and also our specific LinkedIn 10x service helping you to become the leading authority in your industry on LinkedIn. You can find out so much more about our services on our website and also please do give me a follow on the social media platforms. I share lots and lots of tips and advice on social media about content repurposing. I'm at content 10x on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and if you try content10x.com forward slash LinkedIn you'll find my LinkedIn profile over there as well. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and I'll catch you in the next one.